Father, we're about to open your word, and that's a very serious thing. And so I pray that it would do nothing less than it promises, and that it would be living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, that would pierce our hearts. And so the way that we entered this place today is not the way that we leave it. In your name I pray, amen. When I was in high school, my dad owned a landscaping business. He eventually ended up in ministry and became a pastor, but he owned a landscaping business. And so he kept all the equipment at our house. And I don't remember what was going on during this time, but he was traveling. He wasn't at home. And so it was just me, my mom, and my younger brother. And my mom came in and got me in the house late into the night. And she said, I hear something outside, and I think someone's on your dad's truck. And so we were peering through the window, and we could look, and we could see a couple of guys on his work truck. And she turned to me, and she said, I think they're stealing some stuff. And so I was in high school. I'm a little bit anxious. Like, what do we do? Do we call 911? And then my mom turned to me and she said, come here. And she took me into my parents' bedroom and she grabbed my dad's gun and she handed it to me. She said, go scare them off. And I'm in the balance of the moment going, I'm shaking like a two-year-old. And this is the most awesome thing that has ever happened to me. This is my red dawn moment right here. Okay, this is like the movie Old Yeller when the dad comes in and says, son, I'm leaving and you're the man of the house. I get to play that role right now. And so I remember just kind of walking out the door holding this shotgun and they just scrambled and then came back inside that night. My mom slept on the couch. I slept on a pallet on the floor. We kept the gun in its case propped up against the door. And all these thoughts were just flowing through my mind all night. Would my dad be proud of me? Am I doing what I was supposed to be doing? But more than anything, I was protecting my home. I was the guardian of my house for the night. And that was a big deal to me, a big responsibility. And for many of us in this place, I would say this, we are all wired to guard something in our life. It's inside each of us. It's in our DNA to guard certain things. And last week, I know Brad in this series, From Happiness, was teaching about true joy is found in Jesus. That you can search for happiness in a bunch of places, But if you want true joy, it's only found in one place, and that's Jesus Christ. And so today, I want to take that a step further, because I want to talk about if that's where our joy is, then what does it mean to guard our joy? If you look around the the landscape of our country, everyone's guarding something. Today, we're celebrating, or this weekend, independence. And so we're honoring those who have served for our freedom. And if you were to talk to those people, they would say, listen, I sacrifice and I give. It's a joy of mine to do that for the freedom that we have in our country. We have doctors who would say, it's my joy to guard people's lives, whether they're sick or diseased or or they're, they're in trouble, whatever that looks like. We have teachers, and if you ask them, why do you do what you do? They would say, I want to guard these students. I want to guard their education. And so it's my joy to speak into their lives. If you talk to parents, they would tell you their greatest joy are their children. And so they spend their life trying to guard them. And this morning, I want to talk about what it means to simply guard our faith where our joy lies. In Psalm 119, King David writes, and he says this, your testimonies, your statutes, whatever translation you're using, your words, they are my heritage forever. And then he says this, for they are the joy of my heart. 
We all like things to be guarded. Moms like dads to guard their homes. You entrust your kids to people. You hope they're keeping them safe. Many of you are parents who checked your kids into the kids area here at this church. And you're, you're, you're hoping they're guarding your child right now and they're not somewhere else. And what happens is when someone's not doing their job and chaos hits or some crisis moment hits, then we've all got lots of questions and we start blaming, right? We start to say things like, if only blank, fill in the blank, wouldn't have been happening, this wouldn't have taken place. If only so-and-so was doing their job and they were doing the right thing, this wouldn't have happened. But what does that look like when it comes to our faith? Ask yourself this question this morning as we journey along. Does your faith bring emotional happiness for moments or does it bring you true joy? Is faith for you just emotional moments or is it pure joy? When you sing, I believe in God the Father, I believe in Christ the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit, my God is three in one. Is that just a song you sing or is that a creed you live by? When you sing a song, I want to be close to you. My only focus is you. Is that how you're truly living or is that just something you say in your moment of happiness here on Sunday morning? Because if it's true joy, you're going to guard it and you're going to protect it. We would all agree that our world is drastically changing. Culture shifting, it's progressing, it's moving in all different ways. And that scares a lot of people. And a lot of people turn around and they've got questions and thoughts and comments as to how that's happening. And so they say statements I've heard my entire life like this one. This world is getting evil. God's coming back soon. If you said that maybe yourself or you've heard people say that, I used to listen to my grandfather say that. This world is so wicked, God's coming back soon. And some of you would say, look at what's going on around and it's different than it's ever been before. Maybe that's absolutely true. But a lot of times we start getting really scared when our happiness is gone and we don't have true joy and we start fumbling along wondering what's going to take place. And if this statement's true for some of you, and according to that thinking, if the world is getting drastically worse, and that means that the biblical morals and values that you live by and you think that this world should be functioning by are diminishing, who's at blame for that? Who's ultimately at blame for those things falling apart? Who's the one that's willing to look in the mirror and take responsibility for that? Because when you're saying that, what you're saying is that some things have not been guarded well, have they? What David says is the joy of my heart, God's words. We're not seeing them played out in our country anymore. Then that means they weren't guarded and that means someone wasn't guarding them. There's a great book by an author named Gabe Lyons called Good Faith. And in that book, it's, it just came out a few months ago, they have kind of surveyed the landscape of our culture now and moving forward. And this is what they say about our culture in the present. They say presently only about a third of the people living in the United States now believe that our freedom, our religious freedom, is not guarded enough. So two-thirds of the people say, hey, it's fine how it is, just keep it going. Half the people now in the U.S., believe there are no more moral absolutes, that they change over time with the culture. They use words like progressing. Over half of our culture now believes that good works, which means helping the poor, helping someone in need when a crisis hits, they would be done whether Christians existed or not. Growing up, the only people I knew to help those types of people were those in the church. And now our society says, we don't really need you. This stuff's gonna get done with or without you. 
The fastest growing group of people in America today are a group called the nuns. Not nuns like in the Catholic Church, N-U-N, but N-O-N-E-S. Meaning this, we have no affiliation whatsoever with any religion. We don't have one and we don't want one. Largest growing group in the United States. Coming in the generation behind all of us. And we would have to look and say, if this is our greatest joy, then it hasn't been guarded very well, has it? Because things are changing way too rapidly. I want you to take your Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul is writing to one of his disciples. His disciple happens to be named Timothy, which is a fantastic name. And so he's writing this letter to him. And just like you would when you write a letter, he's about to end it. And when you end a letter, you usually are trying to emphasize a certain thing. You're telling someone how great they are, how much you truly love them, how appreciative of them you are, whatever you're signing off on. And this is how Paul signs off his first letter to Timothy, starting at verse 20. He says, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, something was given to you, and it was really important. As a matter of fact, you have a big responsibility. Your job, your role, is to guard it. And this word in the Greek language, guard, means keep watch over. It means I'm going to watch over this, and I'm going to keep an eye on it. I'm going to guard it. Now, where does Timothy get this, this deposit from? that he's talking about. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, if you turn one page over into 2 Timothy chapter 1, he writes him a second letter. And at the beginning of the second letter, he leaves where he left off in the first letter. And he tells Timothy this in, ch in chapter 1, verse 5 of 2 Timothy, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that, that dwelled first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. He tells Timothy, you had a deposit. It was given to you. And guess what? You didn't just come up with it. You didn't just go find it on your own. It was passed down from generation to generation. Your grandmother had it. She passed it on to your mom. And your mom had it. But to do that, that means it had to be something they cared about. Something joyful to them. Something they kept watch over. Something they guarded. And he says, this was passed down to you by people keeping watch over something that brought them joy. Here's what I want you to take home today if you don't leave here with anything else. You always keep watch over the things that bring you the most joy. You will always keep watch over the thing that brings you the most joy. That can be a good thing and you will fight to the death for it. It can be a really bad thing. And no matter what people tell you, because it brings you happiness, not true joy, you've just gotten that mixed up. You still guard it and you fight for it and you try to keep it in your life, correct? You will always, always keep watch over the thing that brings you the most joy. Parents would tell you their greatest joy is their kids. If you want to watch parents guard and keep watch over their children, go to Chick-fil-A, Okay? We don't have offices at Genesis Church. We still are mobile and work out of our homes. So we do all of our meetings at Chick-fil-A, free Wi-Fi, sweet tea. I'm good to go. And so I sit there almost every day. And all I have to do is watch the playground for this to play out. 
When you watch the playground at Chick-fil-A, you see two extremes, right? You see the parents who take their kids, put them in the playground, then they go get their coffee, their milkshake, their, their food, whatever it is. They sit down and they forgot they had a child, right? And their kid is in there, they're upside down, they have bitten the finger off another child. They have no clue what's going on. They're enjoying their time forgetting they had a child. The other extreme is the mom and the dad who walks into the playground and never ever leaves till the child comes out, right? You can see it in her eyes. Mom comes in and there's fire in them and she's just waiting. She's waiting for the first child to push hers back First child not to let hers down a slide. First child to make her kid nervous, scream, cry, whatever. And then they come running out. And she's got your child by the arm, not hers, going, whose child is this? And everybody's pointing at the one with the milkshake going, it's that one, not mine. They're important to us, right? Our kids bring us joy. And we will fight for them. Mama bear will come out. We will protect them. We will guard them. And Paul's telling Timothy, guess what? You've got something of pure joy that's been passed on to you. Are you going to guard it? Are you going to keep watch over it? Are you going to look after it? Later in 2 Timothy chapter 1, he repeats himself. He says, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me. In the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. He said, this thing is really good and it's been passed down and your biggest responsibility in life is to guard it. Some of us have forgotten that about our faith. We've forgotten that God's words can be pure joy and we've got to guard them. That's why I believe that what the church does is absolutely important. What Singh is doing this morning and Brent and Brad and Todd, when you give them your children and your students, you're not only entrusting them, you're hoping that that joy is being passed into them. And they're, they're receiving that and they're beginning to understand that. It happened in my life as a child. It happened in my kids' lives here, being at this church for so long. A deposit that was entrusted to them and, and they were to take that and move on with it. And it's the same for parents and grandparents and everyone. And so when we look at this, we have to understand Paul's saying, listen, something's been entrusted to you. And it's very ancient. It's come from generations and generations behind you. And some people go, well, yeah, ancient means traditional. And in our day and time, we like things progressive. Tradition isn't really where we want to stand. And yet what we forget is what Paul's saying, listen, this thing's been passed down to you like an heirloom. So if you want to call it ancient, that's great. Because the older it gets, the more value it gains, correct? And the more important it becomes. And the more you should cherish it. And the more you should take care of it. And the more you should guard it. And the more you should protect it. And Paul knew this wasn't just for Timothy. This was for himself. He wasn't saying, hey, you do this and I'll do my own thing. That would be pretty hypocritical. So Paul tells Timothy, guard it. But he knows he's got to guard it himself. Paul's the guy God tapped and said, listen, I want you to take the faith outside of the Jewish people to the Gentiles all around the world. And you're going to go to cities and you're going to go to continents. And when you go there, they're going to be doing some crazy things. It's going to be pretty wicked. They're going to be accepting of things you don't accept. They're going to be doing some things that the Jewish people would never conform to. And that's where I want you to take the gospel. And Paul says in Galatians, as he's writing to the church, he says, this is how important this is to me. He says, it's so important in Galatians chapter 2, verse 1, that after 14 years, I went back up to Jerusalem 
with Barnabas taking Titus along with me. And I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Paul says, after 14 years of traveling around the world, being all types of cultures, situations, good, bad, ugly, I went back to Jerusalem. Where did I go? I went back to the disciples of Jesus, the early leaders of the church. And I had one question in mind. Is the gospel that I'm sharing with the world still the gospel I'm supposed to be preaching? Did I change it up a little bit? Did I morph it and kind of shape it so that it would make me happy for what I want and what I'm looking for or what someone else desires? Or am I guarding and entrusting the very words of God that David said, bring me joy, pure joy to my heart? So I want to know, is it the same? It was that important to Paul. You'll always keep watch over the thing that brings you the most joy. And for Paul, this was it. This is what my whole life is about. And so he told Timothy, guard it. What did he tell him to guard it from? He said, guard it from irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. He said, here's what you need to understand about your faith. There's going to be irreverent babble, meaning crazy talk about it. There, there's going to be conflict. There, there's going to be all types of things that come in. And a lot of it, I want you to know, is false knowledge. You either have eyes to see and ears to hear or you don't. He says, and it's always going to come at you. What you need to know today is that your faith is always under attack. There's a spiritual battle raging daily for the faith that you have. It happened back then. It happens now. And how you guard it and why you guard it matters. And this spiritual battle that's happening that's raging against your faith because there's people that are sitting around in circles going, I don't know what's happened to our world. I don't know what's happened to our faith. What's, what's taking place? Here's what we need to understand. We should expect it from those who don't believe in Jesus. It's not their faith. They don't have to choose this. We desire and pray and hope and God does. But they don't see things the way that you see them, so they're always going to be butting up against it. There's a bill in California right now, SB 1146, that if it's voted into play, will strip all co Christian college and universities of their religious freedom. Doesn't matter how old they are, doesn't matter what their mission is, doesn't mean, matter their beliefs and values, they will be completely stripped of them as colleges and universities. Some people get back and they go, oh, that's the opposition. Here's the problem when it starts happening in the church. The real problem is when it starts happening with those who should be unified and should be guarding the thing entrusted to them. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, back up a, a chapter and a page in your Bibles, in verse 3, he says this to Timothy, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that occurs with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in the mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gains. He says, listen, there are people infiltrating the faith, and they're causing all types of dissension. 
And they're depriving people the way that God wants them to think and the way that God wants them to live because they're getting caught up in everything that's causing dissension within the church. And he says, Timothy, watch out. When you're guarding the thing that brings you the most joy, be aware of this very thing that's happening because people have an unhealthy craving for controversy. How many of you spend more time reading God's word than you do articles, blogs, Facebook posts, watching the news, all these other things about what's happening and going on according to our faith? And yet we read all of this stuff and we come up with our own assumptions and opinions based off of all this stuff and then we try to dump it into God's word and Paul's saying, Timothy, guard that, please. Keep watch over that. Protect that with everything that you have. He tells the church in Romans chapter 16, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. He says there's people looking to deceive you everywhere you go. And Satan's trying to find the naive heart right now that'll just pluck that, that heart string of what you kind of think brings happiness for you or for someone else. And then you're just going to start bending that way. And he says, listen, stay rooted in God's word. Jesus tells us there's false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. They're trying to deteriorate everything you're trying to guard. And they want to mess up your faith at all costs. 21 days ago, the greatest massacre on U.S. soil happened in my city. It hasn't been easy. It's been very tough to hear the stories of hurting family members and victims and friends and all of that that happened in our city. It's been amazing to see our city unite around the hurtness in our city. But I've also seen people who have started taking this ability to show compassion and love and care and then embrace all types of things that doesn't align with the faith. And so we tell our church, listen, this is what love looks like right now. Love is compassion plus conversations without compromise. Let's show compassion. But let's be real in our conversations about who we are and what we believe and why we believe it. And let's guard and protect and keep watch over what God has entrusted to us. And let's not compromise that. The time is too grave and too tough and too hard. And David said, these words of God bring me great joy. And some of you would ask, well, then how do I know a false prophet, a false teacher? Heck, Tim, you might be one. If it doesn't align with God's word, it's false, period. It's that simple. And God promises that when we come to him, he fills us with the spirit. And the spirit guides us and directs us. He gives us convictions and discernment. And we can quench the Spirit by doing our own thing, or we can listen to the Spirit and let Him be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And the greatest place, the worst place, the most dangerous place to build your faith is upon the words, I think. I meet many people who say, well, I think this is okay, or I think God would be okay with that. That's great. Now that you've thought for God, let's listen to God. And let's see what God has to say about these issues. What's taking place in our world. What he desires of you if you call yourself a follower of Jesus. And why does Paul want all of this guarded? Why is it important to him? He tells Timothy, he says, guard it 
and guard it from all these controversies because if not, people will swerve from the faith. That's how important this is. If you don't guard this and keep watch over this, your grandma did it, your mom did it, I'm doing it, you're supposed to be doing it. If we don't, people will swerve from the faith. And yet if we talk about some of the stats that we did earlier, like the group that called themselves the nuns, who want nothing to do with any religion at all, how's that been being passed down? Being a church planner, we hear the stats all the time. More churches will close their doors this year than any other before. And the ones that do exist are either plateaued or declining. And the ones that are growing are not keeping up with the pace of the people moving into their towns and cities. We not only got to be guarding it, we obviously got to be sharing it. But there's a whole generation coming behind all of us. And the problem starts there because for some of us, it's just my faith. And we forget that it's supposed to be passed on. And that's why we keep watch over it so that we're, we're protecting it as we pass it down. And the youngest generation, they now call the Z generation. They're the ones that are going to grow up and they're never going to know that it was our time period that attacked God's biblical foundation for marriage. They're going to grow up one day and assume men can walk in women's bathrooms. They're going to grow up one day and then they're going to they're look around the world and they're going to say, when was it ever not okay to take the life of an unborn child? They watch their parents and their grandparents now say, I don't need the church. I can grow on my own. I definitely don't need to be serving in the church. And why would I ever give to a church? And they take all that in and it flushes it out. And we got to be way more concerned about what's coming behind us than what we're facing in the immediate here and now. And the best place it starts with us, us guarding our faith. Because as David said, it's God's words that bring us pure joy. There's a young girl in our church who just a few months back before school was out had her teacher ask the classroom who in here believes same-sex marriages are okay. Everybody in the classroom raised their hand except for this one young girl. The teacher then said, here's what I want. I want everyone to take the next week and this is your project. You're going to do a report and a presentation in front of the class on why you believe this is okay. The teacher came to this young girl and said, listen, I know you're the only one in the class that didn't raise your hand, so I'm going to let you come in during lunch and give your presentation with no one else around because there's probably a target on your back. This girl's in sixth grade. This girl turned to her teacher and said, that's okay. I would like to give my presentation on what I believe and why. Romans chapter 1 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus, for it is the power of salvation to anyone who believes. And what we need is a bunch of people who will rise up and grab the baton and say, I'm entrusted to guard my faith. It's what brings me everlasting joy, and I will keep watch over it and pass it on to the generations to come. But we have to know our faith, don't we? It's really hard to guard something that we don't really spend time with. And we don't know how to guard it in conversations with people or stand up in front of a class and give a presentation if we don't really know our faith. And we got to get back to guarding it and realize that's our responsibility in 2016. I want to share with you a story this morning as we close. 
It's 4th of July weekend, Independence Day, and we're celebrating the freedom many have fought and served and sacrificed for. And so I shared this story a few weeks back with my church. It's the story of the guards at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldiers in Arlington Cemetery in Washington, D.C. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you've seen pictures. Family members have been there. But I want to talk to you this morning about that soldier, the sacrifice and commitment that they give to guard that tomb, the importance of it, the responsibility, and the joy they get from it. It reads this way. It's called the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. And it's guarded 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, by specially trained members of the 3rd United States Infantry called the Old Guard. Ironically, after reading this in the first service, the gentleman ran in and said, one of the men that served here used to be one of these. His name's Tim Battle. I don't know if he's here this morning or not. When people ask questions about the, these soldiers and what they do, they ask questions like, how long does it take to walk across the tomb back and forth? And they say it takes 21 steps, and it alludes to the 21-gun salute, which is the highest honor given to any military or foreign dignitary. How long does a guard hesitate after his about face to begin his return walk, and why? They wait 21 seconds for the same reason as before. The guards always wear white gloves, and they're always moistened to prevent losing their grip on their rifle. Some people might ask, does he, do they carry their rifle on the same shoulder all the time? And if not, why? The soldiers carry the rifle on the shoulder, on the so, shoulder away from the tomb. After his march across the path, he executes an about face and moves the rifle to his outside shoulder. These guards are changed every 30 minutes, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Here's the physical traits that a guard is limited to when he takes the responsibility of guarding this tomb. For a person to apply for guard at the tomb, he must be between five foot 10 and six foot two, and his waist size cannot exceed 30 inches. Other requirements of the guards are this. They must commit to two years of life to guard the tomb. They must live in barracks under the tomb, and they cannot drink any alcohol on or off duty for the rest of their lives. They cannot swear in public for the rest of their lives, and they cannot disgrace the uniform fighting or getting trouble with the law in any way. After two years of service, the guards are given a wreath pin that is worn on their lapels, signifying they served as guards of the tomb. There are only about 400 present worn today. Guards are expected to obey all these rules for the rest of their lives or give up their distinguished wreath pin. For the first six months of duty, a guard cannot talk to anyone, nor watch TV. All off-duty time is spent studying the 175 notable people laid to rest in Arlington National Cemetery. A guard must memorize who they are and where they're from. There's a picture on the screen from 2003. In 2003, Hurricane Isabel was approaching Washington, D.C., in Washington, D.C., the U.S. Senate and House took two days off with anticipation of the storm. On the ABC Evening News, it was reported that because of the dangers from the hurricane, the military members assigned the duty of guarding the tomb were given permission to suspend assignment. It's too tough, too dangerous. Suspend this. Their response, 
We respectfully decline. No way, sir, they said. Soaked to the skin, marching in pelting rain of this tropical storm, they said that guarding the tomb was not just an assignment. It was the greatest joy and the highest honor that can be afforded to a person in service. When they enter into serving to guard the tomb, they recite what's called the Sentinel's Creed. And this is what they align themselves with for the rest of their lives. It says, my dedication to this sacred duty is, a total, is total and wholehearted. And the responsibility bestowed upon me, never will I falter. And with dignity and perseverance, my standard will remain perfection. Through the years of diligence and praise and discomfort of the elements, I will walk my tour in humble reverence to the best of my ability. It is he who commands the respect I protect. His bravery that made us so proud. Surrounded by well-meaning crowds by day alone in the thoughtful peace of the night, this soldier will in honored glory rest under my eternal vigilance. The guard stands tomb, sacrifices his life, and says, my standard will be perfection. Paul told Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Because if not, some will swerve from the faith. How important is the joy God has given you? With heads bowed and eyes closed. If we don't keep watch over the thing that brings us most joy, we won't have anything to pass on to those who need joy. And when I think about the soldier in Arlington Cemetery, the sacrifice and commitment he's made to guard a tomb, I wonder if we have that same conviction and sacrifice to guard the words entrusted to us. Parents, the baton responsibility has been handed to you to keep watch over your faith and pass it on to your children. Grandparents, the same. Students, The baton has been passed to you to keep watch over this thing that's being handed down. And as you grow older, you mature, you go off into your careers and you make your homes that you pass down what's been entrusted to you. Maybe you're here this morning and that's what needs to happen before you leave this place. I know there'll be people down front who would love to pray with you. Maybe you need to come pray with them and just say, you know what, I haven't guarded the faith. If anything, I've allowed it to be swerved and swayed and I need to get back to protecting it. Others of you, maybe just where you're at, before you walk out these doors today, that's what you let God transform inside of you. The way that you came in is not the way that you leave. And you let God change you from the inside out. Father, you've given us a big responsibility. You are our joy and our strength, David says. We want to be like David and say that our pure joy comes from your words. We're tired of chasing happiness. We want joy. It's found only in you. May we do whatever it takes to find it, to hold on to it, to guard it, and to protect it, and keep watch over it. In your name I pray, amen.